morning. Today we think of the resurrection body. Hopefully. Believe me, <coughs> there are some words written there that says the resurrection body. <laughs> Over these three weeks, last week, this week and next week, we are looking at 1 Corinthians 15. <coughs> Peter spoke to us last week of the fact of the resurrection. And today we think of what Paul says about the resurrection body and then next week Cam will speak about the final climax of history the final triumph of Christ in his church. In those, chapter, in those verses that Peter spoke of, Paul spoke of the certainty of the resurrection, of the necessity of the resurrection, because the resurrection is pivotal to Christian doctrine, to our faith, and therefore, of course, heavily contested by those who would seek to undermine both in other religions and in secular world. Paul says if we are not, if there is no resurrection, he said in those verses, then we have no hope. Rather tongue-in-cheek, as he often did when speaking to the Corinthians, in that rather ironical way in which he spoke to them as he was led by the Holy Spirit. He says, not condoning the fact, it was a practice that they were indulging in, which is certainly not scriptural correct, but they were doing it. They were being baptised on behalf of those who died, just to make sure that they were covered. Paul said, if there is no resurrection, why are you bothering to do that? because at the same time they were doubting whether or not there was a resurrection. I read of a lawyer once who said, after doing much research, that there was more judicial evidence for the resurrection of Christ than for the whole of the Napoleonic Wars. Another who wrote the book, Who Moved the Stone, began as an atheist to disprove the resurrection. And as a lawyer searched the evidence was soundly convicted and converted and wrote that book as his own testimony of the power of God in the resurrection. And so today we think of the resurrection body. What will it be like? What will it entail? And to do that, there are just two introductory things I'd like to say uh, to set the scene, if you like, we're looking at those verses a little later on. Uh, we're not doing the action yet. Now we're right. It was turned on before too, so. 
The first thing I'd like to say is that we are made in the image and the likeness of God. Now, theologians have argued about that for many years, trying to work out what it means. And apart from the fact that it speaks of the ability to love, to forgive, to laugh and every other God-given attribute that theologians might ponder, this statement definitely means two things that were made wonderfully possible. That it was possible for God to come in human form and dwell among us. For God to come in the form of Christ was something planned before creation. Planned in creation. The second thing is, it is possible then for human beings to be changed in such a way to be able to live in the physical presence of God. My old Bible school principal used to say, all it is is just a change of the atomic structure. The creator who made the atoms, the creator that made the molecules, made them in such a way as to make those two stupendous things happen. For God to be able to come human and for humans to be able to dwell in the physical presence of God. And then another radical thought by introduction is simply this. When you're dead, you're not dead. The Bible is very clear about that. That one day every person will be raised from the dead, every human being. Now I'd like us just to read very briefly four passages of Scripture that speak of four different events at the end of world history. I'm not planning today to speak on the second coming. It's not our brief for today. But there are many events. These four events are separate events. All in the parousia, taking part in those final days. But they all speak of one thing, of resurrection of the body. First Thessalonians 4, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that all who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left, we caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so will we be forever with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. 
The Thessalonian church had a problem. They were concerned about people who had died. They'd missed out on the resurrection. Because the expectation, if you read in the New Testament of the early church, was that Christ was going to come back almost straight away. Peter tells us that the reason he delays his coming is out of mercy to give many more people the opportunity to turn to him. But Paul assures them, those who have already died will be raised first, caught up to meet the Lord with those who are remaining on the earth. The only reason I can see for that is they've got six feet further to go. Revelation 19. I saw heaven standing open. There was before me a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he rode, he, 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 with judges, sorry, with justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like a blazing fire, on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. His name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, clean and white. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule over them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Revelation 20. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image, had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to to life and reign with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until a thousand years ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him a thousand years. And then probably the most chilling of all. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The, judge, the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that was in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. One day, every person who's ever lived on this earth will be raised to life, either to be in the presence of Christ forever or to be in hell forever. the rich, the poor, the Nobel Peace Prize winners, 
and those who have never aspired to anything very much. The labourers, the doctors, the farmers, the lawyers, the politicians and the electors, the bosses and servants, the famous and the unknown, the strong and the weak, unbelievers, the seemingly moral and the immoral, the peace activists and the terrorists, the despots of history and their victims will all stand before him on that day. The Bible doesn't tell us anything about the nature of the resurrected body of an unbeliever. All we know is that it will simply be suitable to go to hell in. Today we speak of the resurrection body of which the Bible speaks for those who put their trust in the Saviour. Someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish, what you do not sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant a body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or something else, For God gives it a body as he has determined and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. So Paul is saying to us here that new body will come out of the old once the old has died. And he goes on to say not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, there are earthly bodies, But the splendour of the heavenly bodies is one kind, the splendour of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendour, the moon another, the stars another. The stars differ from star in splendour. So it will be in the resurrection of the dead. So he's saying here God has created flesh on the earth, different kind of bodies, different kind of species, and it's interesting to me that he uses the word in the Greek for another, which means another of the same kind. I've probably explained in the past when we think of those words of the Holy Spirit when Jesus said, I will bring, send you another comforter. He uses the same word, another of the same kind as I am. And there is another Greek word, heteros, which means another, but of a different kind. And Paul actually makes the differentiation between the two in these verses. What we have on earth is of one kind, similar. And scientists will tell, you, tell us that there are many remarkable similarities in genes, in, in uh, the makeup of humans and animals. The point that Paul is making is here, those things that are similar are of the earth. Very often, if you look at the design of something, you can often tell who's designed it because they use similar patterns in, in making their different designs. But then he speaks of heavenly bodies, that is the resurrection body. He uses this word heteros, it's of a different kind. It's something new, but it comes out of the old. I 
so it, is, so it will be in the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, corruptible. It is raised imperishable, incorruptible. It is sown in dishonour, that is vile, shame and reproach, but it is raised in glory, honour, praise and worship. It is sown in weakness, in sickness, in disease and infirmity, but it is raised in power, strong, mighty and wonderful. It's sown a natural body that is of the lower nature of the earth. It is raised a spiritual body or a supernatural body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, that is Christ, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. After that, the spiritual. And so he's saying, just as God has put order in his creation, order in his universe, so it will be at the last day. The natural will be overcome by the spiritual. The first man, Adam, was from the dust or earthy, pertaining to the earth. The second man is of heaven, the air, the sky. As were the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. As is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. That's the hope of every believer. Next week, one of the key verses in the verses that Cam will be looking at is we shall all be changed. We shall all be changed. So what does the, what does the resurrection body look like? We need to be very careful that we don't speculate. We need to be very careful to not go beyond what the scriptures teach us. It's come to my attention recently in the Old Testament how God is not pleased with people who speculate about how he will do things. Because the speculation of how we think God might do things, how he might answer our prayer, how he might work in a certain person's life, cuts across the fact of his complete faithfulness because he simply wants us to trust him with the outcome. Not for us to try and second guess how he might do it. And I would suggest that most theological error, most errors in the history of the Christian church where people have gone wrong is where people have speculated about what might be or might not be and before long it becomes a principle that they live by instead of sticking to what the word of God actually says. The first thing we suggest today is that the resurrection body will be something that is changed out of the old. Like a grain of wheat, life comes out of death. Remember what the Lord Jesus said in John chapter 12, Except a grain of wheat fall into the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it die, it brings forth much fruit. 
when I was a farmer, sometimes I would pull up a handsome looking stalk of wheat with several heads on it with multiple grains in it, probably a hundred grains that came and I would search around for where it came from. I used to do it just as every now and again just to remind myself of these scriptural principles. And after a lot of searching amongst the roots, I was able to find a shriveled up little bit of something that had died. And out of that death, there had come a harvest. The second thing I believe the Bible teaches us is that as it comes from the rootstock, the resurrection body has individuality. When the Apostle Paul was met by the Lord Jesus on the, on the Damascus Road, he didn't see a vision. He described it as seeing a great light. But on subsequent passages in the scripture, he tells us what he saw in that light. He said, I saw the risen Christ. And that was his only claim to apostleship because the, the criteria of the early church was that to call yourself an apostle, you had to have seen the risen Christ. And he used that as his defence. But what did that person he saw say to him? He said, I am Jesus. I'm the same individual that walked the shores of Galilee the same one. And in the resurrection body, we will never stop being who we are as individuals. We'll be transformed, we'll be changed. You might think, well, I'd like to be completely different. You will be, but it will still be you. Because when we get to heaven and we sing with the millions of angels and the redeemed, it will be an individual personal song we will praise him for what he did for us. He rescued us, he saved us, he cleansed us, he washed us and we'll spend all eternity praising him for it as individuals in that great throng. In Philippians chapter 3 verse 21 he says we will be fashioned like under his glorious body. We'll leave away, he says, and leave behind our old bodies. We'll be fashioned like under his glorious body. And that gives us the clue to go searching for what that might mean. The Lord Jesus, in his resurrection body, same body as we'll see later, into which he returned into glory and one day will return to the earth, appeared to the disciples, as Peter told us last week, to individuals and to groups at one stage to as many as 500 on one occasion. That body, in that body, he was able to speak and communicate. On a number of occasions, he appeared to people and he spoke to them. In Luke chapter 24 and verse 20, and, and John chapter 20, we're told that he was able to break bread and to eat and drink. 
He showed them in Luke 24 the nail scars in his hands and feet. He said to them, I'm flesh and bones like you are. And one might say, well, if his body was perfect, why did he have scars? But you see, today at the right hand of the Father, he presents those scars constantly as our high priest on our behalf, offering that eternal sacrifice that the price was paid, the debt was undone and salvation was possible. He was recognisable once the initial unreality had worn off and their eyes were opened. Those people on the Emmaus Road, the Bible says their eyes were holden. They, for a while, were not able to see who he was and that was, I think, done on purpose in order that he might unfold to them those scriptures that made their hearts burn because if he told them first or they recognised him first, I think they would listen too hard. And Mary recognised his voice. She, supposing him to be the gardener, said, where have you put the body? He said to her, Mary, Rabboni. And then when they went back fishing, not knowing what else to do, waiting for the day of Pentecost, he prepared a meal for them. As they came to the shore, he called out to them and John said to Peter, it's the Lord. That body in which he was now raised was uninhibited by time and space and barriers. On the road to Emmaus, he drew near suddenly and vanished at the end of their conversation out of their sight. He suddenly appeared and then disappeared in the midst of the disciples in a locked room. He was transported in in his ascension as recorded for us in Acts chapter 1. The angel said, This Christ whom you've seen go in this manner will also come in the same way one day. Like the angels, he moves through space and time. One day he will return in the same body. And you know my favourite The resurrection body will be incapable of sinning. Spotless and perfect before the Father. No more temptation to sin and no more ability to sin. Faultless, Jude tells us in verse 24, faultless before the throne of God. Our resurrection body will come out of the old. As the old dies, so the new will take over. A different kind of body. A body that God has prepared before the foundation of the world. 
a body made possible because we have been made in his likeness, after his image, eternal. We shall all be changed, him. We shall all be changed. Thanks, Theo. What can we say about this in our lives? How does this affect us? How does it, what does it mean for us? The Bible tells us that we were made in the image of God. We were made eternal. eternal. We were made for eternity. And as human beings, if we don't get eternity right, we don't get life right. If we don't get the things that are eternal in right perspective, then we remain incomplete as human beings. We can never reach our full potential. Without eternity, despite our achievements, we never rise above anything that is simply to do with this earth. And with our best achievements, with our best research, with our best advances, a human being who does not have eternity in their heart goes through the whole of their life simply as a strainer and a processor of food and drink and a walking wardrobe, never rising beyond that as far as the things of God are concerned. As human beings, we pride ourselves in the so-called great advancements of science, the great research, and thank God for them. But at best, all they can do is to perhaps make things better for future generations, which in itself, of course, is a wonderful thing. But it never rises above the things of this earth. And when you think about research and when you think about all the scientific discoveries, we have to remind ourselves that that's what they are. They are discoveries. Human beings have never thought an original thought. Everything we process in our minds is based on something we already know or that somebody else already knows. People in their pride say we've made this wonderful advancement we found in our research <coughs> this wonderful fact. Now we can build on it and use it. Well, of course they can because that's how God has made us. But the best of scientific research only discovers what God has already put in his universe. Scientific research finds out what is already there and then builds on it. It finds the chemicals that can help our bodies it finds the laws that are laid out in nature that God has put there that can be used then for the advancement of all kinds of things in space, in medicine and so on. All wonderful gifts to us from God but they're only discoveries of what God has already done and ways that we can then use them. The humanist would have us believe that Somewhere in our ancestry, 
we came from some amoeba that crawled up out of a swamp. And by chances too numerous, by odds too numerous and implausible, every little step, well, it takes more faith to believe that than it does to believe that a God has made it. And at best, those without God and who live in such a way have no moral compass except the restraints of the community in which they live. For there are no absolute standards in their thinking. And the best they can offer from a human point of view is that one day we'll end up back in the swamp. But there is a better way. The Lord Jesus on one occasion said these very chilling words. Don't be afraid of those who can kill the body but after that can do nothing to you. But I tell you who to fear. Fear him who has both the power to put both soul and body and to cast them into hell. Because the Bible teaches very clearly that we were made for eternity. Some of you I'm sure are aware that Eva and I have had some different sort of days over the last few weeks. Yvonne had another stroke and spent a couple of weeks in hospital. The last day before she was to be released from hospital, her 60-year-old brother died of a heart attack. On the way back from the funeral, some 10 days later, uh, I had a final bone biopsy to discover that I have a in, an incurable uh, bone uh, marrow cancer for which I've received some ray treatment and continuing now on chemotherapy. It is incurable. The chemotherapy will only control it, maybe. And so with I'll probably die from it unless something else gets me first. But after that period of three weeks, I sent an email to my children. And I said, I want you to know that despite all of this has happened, I want you to know that what I have told you I've believed in all my life is real. That God is real. That he gives comfort that he does strengthen. And I can honestly say by, without a shadow of doubt, that by his grace I have not had or lost a wink of sleep in the last six weeks. Such is the grace of God. That has only come about by something else. Because one time, at one stage I had a far worse malady. I wasn't just terminal, I was terminated. Or as the Bible describes it, I was dead in trespasses and sins. My life was ruled by the law of the spirit of death and sin. 
and I found a remedy. And God in his mercy led me to call upon him to ask him to forgive my sin on the basis of what his son Jesus had done on the cross and in his resurrection for me. To make me his child, to bring me into his loving care just as he promised. And I became a different person. No longer was I dead spiritually, but I was alive eternally because that is the promise of the word of God. And I knew it was true. I had that inner witness within my heart, knowing that God was true to his word. And so now I can say with full confidence those wonderful words of Job in that wonderful prophetic word written some 3,000 years ago. I know that my Redeemer liveth, and in the last day he will stand upon the earth, And if after this skin of mine my body is destroyed by worms, yet in my flesh I will see God. And those wonderful words of David in Psalm 71. You knew me in my youth, and now that I'm old and grey-headed, let me show forth your strength to this generation. You see, the Lord Jesus is coming back. One day, this world will come to an end as we know it. Not because the scientists tell us that the D-Day clock is clicking away because of all the things that are going wrong on the earth, and they are. Because one thing I know from the Word of God is that God is jealous of his creation. He will not allow mankind to destroy it. He will come to make it new. How should we be living in such a way? Peter says, anyone that has this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. Such knowledge of a resurrection body calls for purity of life and heart. It calls us to to forsake our sin of whatever shape or form it might be and to seek to follow Christ with all our heart. It's an energising hope. It should give us life. And I speak to those of my own generation as well as to you young people. Make Jesus Lord every day in order that you might discover the riches of his glory and grace. I spoke recently to a lady who's I think about 82. She's now moving after living all her life in one particular place moving hundreds of kilometres away from where she's lived to be closer to her daughter, building a house to live there. She's checked out the local churches and there doesn't seem to be a lot on offer. So she said to me, I can't wait to get there to start my own Bible study. Getting old is no reason to stop serving Christ. The form of service might, might differ. The form of service might change. Those of my generation, do you have neighbours that don't know Christ? Do you have children that don't know Christ? Do you have friends that don't know Christ? And are you praying for them regularly? Are you seeking to witness to them regularly? To these young people, I would say, if you want a life of purpose 
a life that means something, a life that is of eternal value, then make Jesus Lord in your youth and follow him. Make a commitment every day to follow him. Don't let anything turn you away. If today you're here and you don't know him, you don't know what it is to be redeemed and set free, your whole battle is to do with earthly things, you know nothing of the spiritual, then call out to God and ask him to make you a new person. For if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. In order that we might know him and love him and serve him. R.G. Latorno, the man who pioneered the, most of the large earth-moving equipment that we have in our world today, a keen Christian man, said if you don't serve him, then you don't love him. And if you don't love him, then you don't know him. For to know him is to love him, and to love him is to serve him. Shall we pray? Our Father, we thank you for the victory that you have given us in our Lord Jesus. We thank you that nothing can separate us from your love. We ask that we might know day by day the wonder of what it is to be eternally resting in you. And we look forward to that day when every knee will bow, when every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to your glory. Amen.